0: Lord, we are grateful for this time that we can be together and to enjoy uh, fellowship, to get to know one another, maybe some that uh, have not met one another before, and we're thankful for uh, a growing church and a church that uh, you are blessing, and we pray that um, even in uh, a room that's different and uh, unique uh, to Uh, What we're normally accustomed to over at the church, Lord, we pray that uh, this time together would be fruitful uh, for uh, the uh, intent that we have to spend some time together here uh, thinking about uh, rest, thinking about how to uh, rest well, how to engage uh, our hearts in the midst of that in a way that would be pleasing and honoring to you. And so, Lord, we pray for your help now as we think through these things that you'd be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we discussed several external factors that cause us to fail to rest. And today I want to turn to some internal factors uh, and perhaps some more personal factors that may prevent us from resting. While last week we were really looking at things outside of ourselves that can cause chaos chaos. And disruption to our rest today we are going to look inside of us to look at our hearts and to see the intricate dynamics of our hearts that prevent us from resting Um, said another way while all of those dynamics that we discussed last week are real and we can indeed cause us to fail in resting well They're not the ultimate cause of unrest in our souls. Today, we're going to look at how the condition of our own hearts prevent us from resting. A heart of anxiety, a heart of fear, a heart of worry. These things plague our ability to rest. In order to find the rest that our lives truly need, we need to look at what the scriptures teach us about our own hearts. And so that's really what we're going to set out on is really kind of developing uh, a biblical theology of our hearts, uh, who we are and the most fundamental aspect of our personhood. Um, And so uh, to do that, I I believe you have there, uh, the biblical definition of the heart there, um, and you've got some blanks that I'll give you. In total, the scriptures teach that the human heart is the core of a person's beliefs, desires, emotions, thoughts, and affections. I'll say that again. In total, the scriptures teach that the human heart is the core of a person's beliefs, desires, emotions, thoughts, and affections. It emphasizes the condition of the heart as a central aspect of a person's life and recognizes its significance in shaping our behavior and responses to various situations. So um, to think and link the what we talked about last week with this week is really, you can have all of those factors and depending on how our hearts are engaged in all of those factors that we talked about last week, We could be still at rest, or we could have a heart that's in utter turmoil and chaos. It really is first and foremost about how our heart engages with the circumstances and stimulus around us. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So it's comprehensive to understand the heart, that everything else in life flows from the heart. Matthew 15:18 through 19 says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Uh, So all kinds of things there, again, kind of giving some uh, examples of the comprehensiveness of what happens at the heart level is understanding that these things all inevitably flow out of the heart. You could add to that worry, fear, anxiety, these types of things that get our heart really riled up in situations, whatever they may be. Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Proverbs 23.7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Another way to say that is the things that are happening in your heart are the reality of who you are, okay? So uh, you cannot, even though you may fool those around you, there is no fooling the reality of what's happening in our heart before God. And so an acknowledgement of if our heart and our mind, I use those terms today synonymously, are thinking things that are making us uh, worry, have fear, have some kind of anxiety, these kinds of things, just kind of a chaotic heart, right? Uh, Well, that is the reality of who you really are, uh, of what's really going on inside of you. And even though, you know, you may be like a duck that just looks like it's so calm running across, you know, the water. You know, what we know about a duck, right, is that even though on the calmness of the, the the water top, their legs are just going like crazy underneath, just trying to get a little you know, a little ways across the, the pond or whatever it may be, right? Uh, that can be true of our lives as well. We may appear, even by personality, by disposition, that we are calm and we are good. Our hearts might be in utter chaos. And this is important to understand that that heart is the true essence of who we are and what we understand to be true about the nature of god his word his world the world in which we live right Uh, if if that is what's going on in the heart there is something it's an indicator right it's like a flashing light that should be going off in your in your mind in your heart that there's something not aligned correctly with god his word In the world in which we live. Proverbs 27, 19, as in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man, right? Uh, The reality of our hearts will be reflected in our lives. It's just a matter of the right stimulus being at play in your life, whether that will be displayed and imaged in your actual behavior and the way you're living. Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good. right? So it doesn't just happen in the negative. Just as the good will produce good, the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. And for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so really, we're just seeking to develop a biblical understanding of what is in the heart. Whatever's going on there will be demonstrated throughout our lives. Really, the heart is the central control, the hub, the drivetrain, the flight control center, the motherboard, however you want to think about it. That is who you really are as a person, the part of us where all things pertaining to life our control, and so that is at a high level what the scriptures teach us about the heart but I, what i want to do today is spend some time understanding the heart at a little deeper level and how the condition of our heart is ultimately what will either allow us to rest or prevent us from resting it, it's really what's happening in the heart that will move us one direction or another so though we talked about a lot of those external factors last week right that can be those stimulus in our lives the question really is how is our heart engaging all those different stimulus in our lives that that really becomes the questions and so the first thing that i want to talk about this morning as we dig down into the heart level of rest is understanding the condition of the heart Understanding the condition of the heart. Uh, Number one there is the heart is deceitful. The Bible acknowledges the human heart to be deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9 states, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who in the world can understand it, right? Uh, It's very complicated to understand ourselves, to understand others. This is the world in which we live because we can't really truly see exactly the intricacies of what's going on, even in our own heart. Uh, I think this passage uh, extends even to ourselves and who we are. And so the scriptures help us recognize the human heart can be led astray by sin, selfish desires, and wrong motives leading individuals away from God's truth. Romans three ten through 12 says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Why? Because our hearts are deceitful and wicked. That's what they are. I know it's not a popular, encouraging message at that level, but that's the truth of what the scriptures teach us. Mark 7, 20 through 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within and they defile a person. So what we have here is a further expansion of even the gospel that we read a moment ago. It gives even more examples. What does that tell us? These are lists that can kind of go on and on. The reality, what's trying to be communicated here in the scriptures is that everything in your life comes out of the heart. Everything that's going on. Uh, just listening to Pastor Rich preach a moment ago uh, in Revelation uh, chapter three, you guys, I think were most of you, if not all of you were uh, in there as well, uh, made me think uh, about this very principle. Um, Revelation 3:17 and the end of the verse there, um, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, pitiful uh, poor, blind and naked that the the whole issue is is that when we're self-dependent right we we fail to recognize that that's our condition uh we that's where we need to be we need to recognize not in a wallowing of our uh depravity in such a way that is uh that that we're just oh but a worm all the time uh that that's not a good place to be But we do need to recognize that the starting point for our lives and certainly the starting point by which we have a need for a great savior is the depravity of our own hearts. And so that is a place to begin and understanding and recognizing that uh, our hearts can be deceiving not only to others, but even to ourselves and what we're uh, walking through. Number two there. The heart needs transformation. The heart needs transformation. The scriptures emphasize the need for heart transformation. It teaches that true change and healing come from a renewed heart and mind through the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2 encourages believers to be transformed by what? The renewing of the mind indicating that the mind or the heart's renewal is essential for living a godly life. Ephesians 4:22 through 24, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And so just understanding that The very fundamental nature of acknowledging our deceitful hearts, our wicked hearts, it needs that transformation, right? Our hearts need change. Number three there, the heart is infected with personal sin. So not only just the depravity that we're all born into, right? Uh, That is true scripturally. Original sin is passed down from generation to generation, but we also have our own personal sin that infects our hearts. The scripture recognizes the presence of sin in the human heart. It teaches us that the root cause of many problems, such as anxiety, depression, and worry, all being rest killers, right? Those are, uh, nobody that's dealing with those things is resting well right nobody that really is taken uh, by depression or worry or anxiety is someone that is resting well and we're going to get into those uh, in subsequent weeks in a little more detail Uh, but today the point is just really kind of setting the stage for our hearts and how we engage the world that we live in in order that we can figure out how do i actually pursue a restful life that God desires for me. Uh, All of these things can be traced back to the sinful nature of the heart and how it relates to the issues of life. Addressing sin and seeking repentance and forgiveness are crucial steps in coming to a place of being able to truly rest before God and before others. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be na- made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He'll give you rest, right? You, you'll have the ability to have true rest. In First Peter 5, 7, it's a call to us to cast all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. Matthew 6:25 through 27 Therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body what you will put on Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing Look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them Are you not more valuable than they And so just understanding that our hearts are often infected by sin that causes us to get in a place, and that can be even a prolonged period of time, uh, maybe even lifelong, if you've not had the opportunity to really address it at a biblical level, to get to the point where you can seek to have peace and solace and rest in your life, um, and only re- really, truly, you know that. Um, number four here: the the heart is also idolatrous. On a related note to the sin of our hearts, this takes a little different nuance. The human heart is sus- susceptible to idolatry, placing anything above God in one's affections and priorities. The scriptures help us identify adulterous tendencies in our hearts and guide us to prioritize God above all else, and that will lead our hearts to rest and be satisfied in him alone. John Calvin wrote, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. It is an understanding and a reality that the idea of our lives and the, the, what we often will do in the pursuit of all kinds of things, even good things, we will allow our hearts to make idols of things. right? And so good desires become bad desires, which become destructive desires. Uh, and, and you see that pattern in all kinds of areas of life all the time. Good desires turn into bad desires that become idols right, that become very destructive uh, to certainly your relationship with the Lord, but with your relationship with other people, with all kinds of things in life. And so the idea behind this phrase that John Calvin mentioned here in his institutes is that the human heart in its fallen state has a tendency to generate and worship idols rather than worshiping the one true God. That's something we should all just be daily aware of in our lives, all kinds of things that, that can happen. I was talking to a gentleman in, in uh, the gym the other day, and you know, he was asking, you know, do, you, do you think that this place can be an idol? You know, The gym? I said, absolutely. Uh, we have to be very cautious that things like, uh, especially the gym that we're part of, Uh, does not become this idolatrous motivation for our body image, for what we're looking at, what we're listening to, what all kinds of things that even something as simple as a good desire, right, to to treat my body as the temple of God, to, to take care of it, to steward it well, can quickly turn into something that is bad desire and something that then becomes ultimately a destructive desire in my life it can happen of all kinds of things can happen within our marriages good desire right maybe somebody's single good desire to be married there's nothing that the scriptures would suggest that that's not a good desire that's what god designed us for yes singleness and the gift of singleness exists but for you to have the desire to be single. But as soon as that moves into a ruling desire, controlling your heart, controlling your life, controlling the things that you do, and it ultimately starts becoming destructive. You fill in the gap in your life, right? There's all kinds of things that our hearts tend to make idols of. And it's just something that we should be very aware of on a constant basis throughout our lives. The concept of idolatry is prevalent throughout the Bible. Uh, John Calvin drew from various biblical passages to support his understanding of the human condition, for instance, in Romans 1, 21 through 23, uh, Paul writes, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. I think a lot of times we think about this passage as like the total reprobates out there, right? Uh, that that they don't do that, uh, that they don't honor God. And so therefore uh, they they don't give thanks to him and they become futile in their thinking. That is true. That is most true, right? In the depraved, unbelieving, unregenerate world. But we still have that tendency as believers as well. Maybe it's not as pronounced. Maybe it's not as obvious in our lives. But we too have that tendency to allow that to uh, take place. And it continues there. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Yes, that being the ultimate end. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. and exchanged the glory of... The immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In John John Calvin's writings, he highlighted that the tendency to replace God with idols is not only evident in overtly physical acts of worship, like statues and different things like that, but also it manifests in desires, affections, and priorities that people place in their lives above God. Uh, This just happens, and, and we have to be really aware of it. When we idolize something, we may become anxious in our pursuit of it, right? I have to have it. When it's an idol, it becomes from good to bad to a demand. I must have what my heart is wrapped around. And so we become, when we don't have it, anxious to get it. And this can lead to restlessness as we constantly strive for the fulfillment and satisf- satisfaction that only God alone should be providing in our souls. And Proverbs 14:12 warns us: there's a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way of death. There's ways that may feel right and good to you. I, I you know, and, and you may even begin in your deceptiveness of your heart, right? Point one. Convincing yourself that, no, this is exactly what I need. This is what God would want for my life. Of course, this is what, you know, he would want. But pursuing idols instead of resting in God's will can lead to dissatisfaction and utter emptiness. When you don't have what your heart has gotten wrapped around, you will find yourself often discouraged and disenchanted and depressed. Part idolatry can lead to skewed priorities. We may prioritize the pursuit of our idols over seeking God and his kingdom first, as Matthew 6.33 says. This misalignment with priorities prevents us from experiencing the rest that comes from fully trusting in God's provision and wisdom for our lives. We often think that we know better, <laughs> right? Uh, That's often what is happening when our hearts start getting anxious, starting to get, you know, uh, full of worry or fear, is that there's either something God is giving you, maybe a trial, maybe a circumstance that's not as favorable as what you would like. And we start feeling these emotions welling up in us, right? But... There's also the other side. Maybe it's what we're not getting that we think we need or deserve or just desire. And God hasn't chosen to give it to you, so we begin fretting and becoming very concerned about that. These are opportunities where we should be asking ourselves, what is my heart desiring? What is my heart wanting right now that either God is giving me something that I don't like Maybe in my life, that's been comfort, right? Uh, I want comfort. God's not giving me that right now. I want just to, to have easy street, right? He's not giving that to me right now. So I'm getting anxious and frustrated and irritable, right? Those things happen in my life. Or maybe God's bringing something uh, into my life uh, that I just don't know how to deal with, right? Right? Um, and, and we, we begin to feel those things, all kinds of dynamics that as you feel those emotions welling up in you should be prompters to start asking those questions of your heart. What is, what is it that I'm wanting that I'm not getting, or what is it that I'm getting that I don't want? And how is my heart engaged in that in such a way that it's making me feel these feelings of unrest, of various various kinds. Number five, the heart is dynamic in its response to past experiences. The scriptures acknowledge that past experiences, including past hurts and traumas, when others have sinned against you, can shape the condition of your heart. It's just a true reality. It recognizes the need for healing, for forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration when possible from these experiences and guides individuals towards God's comfort and rest. I, I know just being in pastoral ministry that uh, many people that I meet with, you know, they've got past challenges uh, that sometimes go back a long time, uh, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in their years growing up as a child or, or whatever those things may be that uh, are preventing them from truly resting as god would desire for them to be able to do and we have to acknowledge that the heart is dynamic it does engage these hurts and challenges in ways that are complex and you may need help with that you may need someone to work through those things in such a way that would be fruitful and helpful for you uh, in these experiences to uh, learn how in the actual practice of that, to give those things over to the Lord, to trust him with those things, to seek reconciliation, to uh, seek restoration of a relationship, whatever that may be in a God-ordained biblical way that will allow you to not be fretting about those things, that whatever they may be, uh, but that you can truly get to a point where even if it's not successful, right, Be at peace with all men so much as it depends upon you. You can't control anyone else's life. All you can do is what God calls you to do and leave the rest to him. And so if you get to that end of that process, it may still be a wreck of a relationship, whatever the case may be. But have you done what God calls you to so that you can say, hey, Lord, I'm giving this over to you. I've done all I can. I'm resting and I'm trusting in you for the rest." The scriptures emphasize the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation and experiencing true peace and rest. And these principles are central to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles and they hold significant implications for our relationship with both God and with others that we live with in relationship all the time. So I I just wanted to give you a few, I didn't put these on your notes, uh, maybe it would be helpful, uh, but uh, first would be forgiveness and peace with God. Uh, Ephesians 1.7, in him, the person of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's where it all begins, right? Forgiveness and peace with God must come first. Don't ever expect for you to have this wonderful, peaceful, restful life if you haven't first made things right with God. If you haven't, then there is no real peace and rest for your soul. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And I would just extend this even this morning to maybe I'm not talking to you, right? Maybe you're working with other individuals that need this kind of counsel in their lives. And through your discipleship and time that you spend with them, you have to first start with where the relationship is at with the Lord. The scriptures teach that forgiveness of our sins through Jesus' sacrifice brings us to a state of peace with God. And it's through Christ's atoning work that we are reconciled to God. And this reconciliation allows us to find this peace and rest and knowing we are no longer estranged from our Heavenly Father, but we are yet now friends. We can have peace. And so if you're working with, you know, family members or others in the body of Christ or co-workers or whatever it may be, that they're seeking rest and you want to help them, you first have to start with evangelizing. You have to help them understand. Now, uh, this may be the, the entry point into their life, but where you're going with them is not trying to fix their situation, right? The, the circumstance that's in their life. You're first trying to help them find peace with God. And that's only through repentance and reconciliation of their life before God. But secondly here, forgiveness and inner peace. Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive, right? And so there's an acknowledgement of of life that uh, what God's desire is for our lives is to always have a heart of forgiveness towards those who have wronged you. That doesn't mean that you always actually have a transactional forgiveness where they come and seek that forgiveness from you, but you are standing ready at any time to forgive those that have wronged you. And sometimes that happens, that transactional piece happens, and other times it does not. And again, we can't control the lives of others, what they do and what they choose not to do, but what we can prepare our heart for is always being ready to grant that forgiveness to those individuals. Why are we talking about this? Because that is a key piece of bringing rest to the soul of, hey, whatever, it may be a hard conversation, right? But whenever that day comes, if the Lord grants that, I'm going to stand ready to forgive. Why? Because Christ first forgave me. So that's what we strive for. Forgiveness is not just a one time act, but an ongoing attitude of mercy and grace towards others. The Bible teaches that forgiving others is essential for our well-being and inner peace of, of our own hearts and souls. Holding grudges, harboring unforgiveness can lead to unrest and an emotional turmoil. But while choosing forgiveness brings healing and freedom. And so that is what our objective that we want to desire to be moving towards is we have forgiveness with God, we forgive others. Thirdly, reconciliation and restoration of relationships. It just follows, right? If we've been reconciled and forgiven by God and we have a desire and a heart to forgive others, doesn't mean fix others, right? Make sure you get that too. It uh, doesn't mean that that just because uh, that you, that you're holding and standing ready to forgive, it doesn't mean that just because you're ready to forgive them, that's going to fix everything. Uh, but you're willing to forgive for the wrong. Thirdly, here is reconciliation, restoration. It, it, it naturally follows Matthew 20, uh, 5, 23 through 24. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. The priority here is being placed on make sure that relationships are right before you just trudge through life and think that you're offering great things to the Lord and service and giving and all of these things. You're not. The, The Lord says... I want your heart, not your sacrifice, right? I, I, I want first and foremost that you are allowing the life that you live to be a demonstration of your love for me. So any sacrifice, any giving, any, that, that's all. You're doing that out of love and gratitude for the Lord and what he's done, not some kind of perfunctory requirement of our life in order to please God. God's either pleased because of the Son, what he's done for us on our behalf, or he's not. Uh, Your gift does nothing. It's only showing that your love for him is real and genuine. I want to do this. It's not I have to do this. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This, this is what Christians do, right? We, we, we should be recon, reconciliatory ministers. Uh, because the gospels don't work in my life, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stand ready personally, and I'm going to seek to help other people do the same, right? It's not just even for the professionals, it's what we should all be doing. Reconciliation plays a crucial role in our relationship with others and with God. Jesus emphasizes the importance of being reconciled with others before coming to worship God and highlighting the priority of harmonious relationships amongst each other. And as believers, we are called to participate in the ministry of reconciliation, seeking to restore broken relationships and to promote peace. Peace amongst the brethren, for sure, right? But I think as Christians, these principles follow, even for those outside of the body, because we have the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel in that. Why would I seek to forgive? Well, because that's what God's done for me. It can be a powerful story, an illustration to somebody that wouldn't understand otherwise why you would possibly stand ready to forgive. The scriptures constantly affirm the importance of forgiving and reconciliation in our relationships with God and others. And by extending forgiveness and seeking reconciliation, we pave a way for inner peace and rest within our souls. Knowing that we are walking in alignment with God's will and experiencing the power of his grace in our own lives, ready to extend that to others, that's where we stand ready. Number six, uh, maybe the sixth way the sixth thing to think about as it relates to our own hearts and um, the issue of rest is the heart requires repentance to be healthy uh courtney and i often talk i i I tell the story that uh before getting married i never understood how uh, a marriage could just last like a few months it's like man why did you get married if like you can't make that thing work more than a few months, and then I got married we got married, and sin started to take place right within uh marriage and you know over stupid stuff uh um yeah I'm a hard difficult person to live with and uh, loading how you load the dishwasher and how uh, you do this or that around the house and you know these particularities and you know they're all laughing back there because they just and Alana they know we did pre-marriage counseling with them they so they're they're they get it they understand these things start happening right in our lives and then um, You know that begins to drive a wedge in the relationship and I totally then just after a few months being married like oh I get it without forgiveness and without repentance I totally understand how people could just last a few months and say this was not worth it Uh, this is too hard it was far easier doing what I was doing before you know forget this but repentance and forgiveness is like the reset button for relationships. It's when you're willing to humble yourself and acknowledge wrongdoing and ridiculous expectations, right? That's me. Like, I, I know I do, and I have them, and I'm surprised that 14 years in, uh, I'm not further along on those expectations. Hopefully, I'm little by little getting a little better, but uh, these things, it's just, it's just wild, right? Um, uh, here's an example, just in total transparency and honesty. Uh, Tuesday night, elder meeting, I get a text from Courtney, hey, uh, there's a puddle of water on the kitchen floor, no leak going on, I don't know where it's coming from, what's going on, I, I can't get out of the elder meeting, I've got stuff going on here, I've gotta be in the meeting for, I said, okay, well, you know, just try to clean it up, soak it up. Uh, I'll be home as soon as I can. Uh, I get home uh, that evening, uh, start, you know, taking things apart, trying to figure it out. And I have these expectations that I'm dealing with of I want to just come home and rest, right? I don't want to deal with puddles of water and dripping that I can't figure out why it's dripping. And uh, why isn't the dishwasher unloaded so I can deal with this and you know all these things that just start coming in and I had the rest of the elder meeting the drive home to prep my heart for it, and yet I still felt myself frustrated and anxious about the situation. Why? Well because uh, my heart was not prepared properly to engage the circumstance that I was in. The scriptures emphasize the importance of forgiveness and repentance. Forgiveness, as we just talked about, but also then repentance. Acknowledging wrong and turning away from it. Turning away from the sin and seeking to uh, seeking that forgiveness that's then required when you sinned against others. Pursuing righteousness. Are, they're all key components of heart transformation that will lead us to a place where we can truly have rest. And the scriptures teach that repentance brings peace with God and rest through several key principles. Repentance involves turning away from sin, but also seeking forgiveness and turning towards God with a heart of humility before him and contrition. Matthew 11:28 28 through 29 says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How do we get rest in this life? Well, forgiveness and repentance are key components. Embracing Christ. Repentance leads to a renewed heart and a restored relationship with God. And as we turn to him in repentance, God's presence becomes a place of refuge, joy, and rest for our souls. And freedom from guilt and condemnation as well. If we seek to be obedient to God's word, it leads us away from sinful practices. As we walk in righteousness, we experience freedom from guilt and the weight of condemnation. And number seven here is the heart and the relevance of the scripture. The heart and relevance of the scripture. The scripture centers on the authority and the sufficiency of God's word in addressing the conditions of the heart. Scripture is seen as the primary source of guidance and wisdom for understanding and transforming the heart that, might, that we might understand how our rest can truly be enjoyed. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And it's through obedience that we invite God's presence into our lives and God's promise to be with those who love him and keep his commandments. And his presence brings comfort, guidance, and assurance. Again, that doesn't mean that the hard circumstances of life vanish. It means that we can walk through those situations of life in a way that honors him because we're being obedient to what the word and all sufficiency of his word calls us to in the midst of those circumstances. John 14:23 says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So rest from anxiety and worry and all the troubles of life will begin to take place to the extent that we're being obedient to his word. If you're not being obedient to his word, if you're seeking to do this, even as we just heard this morning, on our own dependency, our own wisdom, our own whatever that we can try to bring to the table, you will not have rest. But to the extent that we seek to be obedient to live for Him, to strive to honor Him with whatever those areas of our life may be, we will begin to experience that rest. Matthew six thirty-one, uh, and my notes just disappeared. <laughs> uh, can somebody turn to Matthew six thirty-one for me? Um, And you can read that when you get there. Okay, Uh, so where your treasure, there your heart will be also. Um, So again, understanding that what we value and what we prioritize in our life, that's where our heart will be. Again, that that leads us back to that idolatry and that that concept of these principles of this life that when we are seeking those things and not getting them, it will begin to create worry and anxiety and frustration in our souls. Um, Let me just try to get my notes back here. I don't know what just happened. There we go. Uh, which which passage did we just? What what passage was that? Matthew six twenty one. Thank you. Just try to find my spot again here. Mm-hmm. The problems with technology, right? Like we were talking about last week. okay yeah um was that matthew six thirty one is that right yeah uh twenty one um, okay i don't know what one i said at this point so uh matthew six thirty one is also through thirty three Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so as we obey God's word, we experience the depth of his love for us and understanding of his provision for us. Obedience is an expression of our love for God. And in return, he showers his love upon us, bringing grace and peace and rest to our hearts. Lastly here, I just want to talk about uh, the role of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, uh, just uh, as it relates to uh, a couple of uh, case studies, if we have uh, time, which we probably won't. But uh, we'll, we'll pick those up next week, if, if not. Uh, the, heart of the, ro- uh, the heart and the role of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures also acknowledge the essential role of the Holy Spirit in transforming our hearts, right? Apart from the Holy Spirit's work, everything that we've talked about, even salvation itself, right? The Spirit empowers, he regenerates, he does it. It's pointless, futile without the work of the Holy Spirit. It teaches us that the Holy Spirit convicts us, comforts us, empowers us to be obedient, to live those obedient lives, right? Trying to do it in our own not a chance Uh, that will only be a recipe for less rest in your life if you seek to pursue these things that we've talked about this morning without the empowering work of the spirit in your life it will only cause more angst more frustration more difficulty in your life the scriptures are clear about the vital role of the Holy Spirit in giving us rest through various aspects of his work. He's the comforter and helper, right? Matthew 14, uh, I'm sorry, not Matthew, John 14:26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you the remembrance, all that I've said to you. So lean on the Holy Spirit, rest and depend upon the Holy Spirit, as your helper and comforter in these times, sent by the Father and the Son to be with us in his absence. And he provides guidance, wisdom, and brings us to remembrance of those teachings of Jesus and the apostles, the things that have been inspired for us to know. He is our our help in those times where we are going through circumstances that may in our own we may be left to be very despondent uh, fearful uh, may be anxious whatever those situations may be rest in the holy spirit he brings conviction leads us to repentance john 16:8. and when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So he has that work in our hearts. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, pointing out areas in our lives that need repentance and change. And as we respond to the Spirit's conviction to turn to God and repentance, we experience the rest that comes from being reconciled to him, as we've talked about. But then there's also inner transformation, right? We have to have this work take place. 2 Corinthians three seventeen through 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit works within believers' lives, bringing about this inner transformation. Right? This is the work that the Spirit is seeking to accomplish in our lives to allow us to live a life of peace and rest within our lives. He does this and he empowers it. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The, the Spirit will do this work in us, not just for our own benefit and, and pleasure and rest, but ultimately that we can live a restful life so that the watching world can see us and say, wow, there is something so different about that community of believers. There's so much, there's something so different about my coworker, I don't know what it is, but I see him walking through this season and he seems restful. He seems like he got good rest last night and man, look at his life, it's a mess, but yet somehow he's resting. What is going on? And that becomes this powerful witness to all of the world that watches this group of people called Christians to say, wow, the world is in utter chaos. That person's life may be in utter chaos. But yet, because he's trusting in the Lord, because he's doing these things that we've talked about today, he is empowering that person to live a life of rest and peace. Uh, next week what we'll talk about a little bit is I just want to take you through some case studies to begin to apply to three different situations. I'll think creatively, uh, I, I had one plan for today, but if we have a little more time next week, uh, I think I'll, I'll spend some time uh, doing it in a little different way uh, to walk us through some case studies and, and we're gonna apply the scriptures to say, okay, in these situations, I won't put you on the spot for your life, but I'll use some case studies that, that I've dealt with in my life and say, how is it that this person is getting off track? And how can this person begin to apply the principles that we've talked about to bring rest to their lives? So uh, we'll do that uh, next week, but let me pray and uh, we'll be dismissed with our time for today. Father, thanks for this time. Thank you for your word and the principles found in it that we can seek to live for you in a way that is glorifying to you, Lord. In the midst of much of life that, because we live in a broken world, because we live as broken people, and because of the curse of original sin, our personal sin, the sin of others, life can be chaotic. And it can be, at times, feeling like it's in, complete disarray but Lord through your word through the work that you do in our lives we can have rest this isn't just hypotheticals you've actually given us your all-sufficient word the work of the Spirit in our lives to accomplish these things Lord you've also given us each other that we might encourage each other in this life towards this kind of restful life. We pray that uh, we would be willing to engage and help one another, uh, Lord, in, in the midst of encouraging one another and in the midst of uh, challenging and even correcting one another, whereby uh, we may be off track. And we pray that you'd be honored even in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.